Hello and welcome to Two White Girls, the radio show. So today we have some very sad news. We are leaving you. This is our last podcast. This is our last podcast, our last episode ever. Well, we might have a renaissance at some point in the future, but this is our last Two White Girls episode. Um, And it's a big one. It is. It's a very big one. Yeah. Um, I would, yeah. We're going to be talking about um, a variety of things, but mostly two very big words, reparations and decolonization. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I feel like there will be a bit of soul searching. If I was an American, Mm -hmm. some soul searching for the soul of my nation at this point after everything we've covered and how to move forward from this and how to, yeah, have a public policy which um, works for everyone. Uh, but first we have to dive into the problems themselves a bit more um we want to start with the story today and gabby's gonna tell it gabby please take it away um so once upon a time in 1833 there was a slave ship coming from africa to the u.s you know with freshly picked slaves (laughs) and (laughs) okay yep and Basically, these slaves decided that they were not going to be slaves. And they commandeered the ship and they redirected themselves to, I think it was Jamaica, um, which was under British control at this point. And England had decided that um, slavery was unethical, immoral. They weren't going to do it anymore. So as soon as the slave ship docked in Jamaica, um, all of these slaves were free. And, um, basically, this is the only, like, large-scale slave revolt that has ever happened. That was successful. That was successful, Mm -hmm. um, in the history, I think, of the U.S. Um, and I think it was, you know, after that, the Senate had to, the U.S. Senate had to write a report about the events that occurred, because that's what happens when you lose quote-unquote property in a quote-unquote accident. Um, but basically, their entire their entire um, report was filled with just kind of falsitudes. Okay, so we actually went to an exhibition that was focused around the uh, this Senate hearing where a poet, what was his name again? Quentin Baker. Quentin Baker had stri- had had made the entire thing black apart from a few words to kind of highlight what he had taken from uh, from that exhibition. So it was words like, this wound, this public instrument, I transmit redress. I am the sea filled and longing. I will not be the fulfillment of the object. All these kind of random abstract words, but the way that he put them together, mm-hmm. I think was, yeah, just kind of showed how you can Yeah, with the interpret. intention of telling the story of slaves at the time, or black people even now. Yes, which leads us nicely into our reckoning mm-hmm. with the past. Um, so we read a very long article uh, in The Atlantic for this week, I can't remember. Called The Case for Reparations. Called The Case. There you go. The Case for Reparations. It's also one and a half hour audio article if you're interested. Yeah. The audio article is probably the way to go. Yeah. I would recommend Mm -hmm. that article as an audio. And 
from this, we just want to start really at the foundations because if we're going to be talking about reparations and decolonization, we naturally have to start with colonization. How did that happen and, and what began? So that takes us right back to the foundation of, of this country. Um, and I think it's important at this point to establish two key facts. So we could go into all the historical details, but I think there are two facts that you have to keep in mind if, if, if you're going to be thinking about future policy as well. The first is that America was founded on a slavery economy. Would you agree with that? I would. And I don't think that's a disputable fact. The White House was built by slaves. And that, that's in a physical sense, but also in a metaphorical sense, right? The, mm-hmm. the only way that wealth creation was being done at that time, to that extent, was through slavery. Yeah. Um, and I, they, there's a sentence in the, in the Atlantic article that white freedom and black plunder were not contradictory, but complementary, right? So that white freedom and wealth was only possible through the plundering and the exploitation mm-hmm. of black people at yeah. that time. That's fact one. I think fact two is that there's, at that time, there was a dual society, a tale of two Americas, right? So you had white society and black society and and whichever one you lived was a completely different world right and and gave you completely different opportunities even as free slaves um until the civil war um and post civil war so so that's that's kind of the the romanticized story i think that you get told right civil yeah. war slavery ended and those two societies merged yeah at that point mm-hmm. um and let's remember, that was only 150 years ago. Yeah. That's really nothing on the scale of... Like, if you were 25 right now, that's... Wait, that's like a sixth of that time you've been alive. Yeah. Right? You've been alive for, like... I've been alive for, like, at least 10% of that. My dad was born in 1961, which means it had been less than 100 years. Since the Civil War. Since the Civil War. That's insane. Mm-hmm. So, so post-Civil War, there's been 150 years for us to come to terms with these facts and to re... First of all, straight away, it was necessary to re-engineer the economy, especially in the southern states where mm-hmm. slavery was the main source of income. Um, and, yeah, to merge those, that dual society. Um, and and the, what we've seen throughout our episodes that um, that was not a successful project. <laughs> initially and can still be called an unsuccessful project absolutely unsuccessful um and obviously it's not a binary distinction but you had i mean we can go through the laws again right let's start with that very first uh merging we had lynch mobs we had no rights for black people no safety net uh jim crow crow laws in the south um is there anything we then I mean, education policy, even now, like, you can look at it, and schools are just as segregated as they were before, or even, like, during Brown v. Board, like, in the beginning, so really, not much has changed. We had, what, Seattle Public Schools versus, like, Parents or Board Mm -hmm. or something like that, which basically reinstated segregation of schools as being okay because we are not allowed to use the uh, race of someone as any sort of determining factor in any decision 
Which, yeah. You know. So we've we've seen that that racism. I mean, we've talked about racism as going from being accepted interpersonally, as in it was okay to say racial slurs, to being something that's become more kind of embedded and institutional rather than mm-hmm. like it's become more unacceptable to be overtly racist. Yeah. Arguably. Yeah. Um. But that that timeline of of um of racism and also public policy which encouraged it mm-hmm. i think you can see that trajectory all the way through so you can draw a red line all the way through from the civil war to lynch mobs and you can kind of see that and and actually that legacy museum i went to in montgomery oh yeah so good mm-hmm. like that shows that whole thing like from yeah. and then to to jim crow and also not just that citizens in the south were subpar citizens mm-hmm. but that any black people who moved up north had to deal with discriminatory housing policies which basically put them in ghettos where you had you know it says in the article you had doctors living next to prostitutes um because they couldn't get a house anywhere else yeah exactly um and and what that created is those ghettos in particular and those housing policies and things like the new new deal which favored white people through um basically excluding black people from social security payments yeah. was a wealth gap and that wealth gap continues to exist today yeah and that's what we're dealing with that wealth gap isn't because of like i actually really like that sense they said it's not because of now but because of then yeah um i actually have some facts on that sorry i've been talking loads i want to hear you in a second hmm. um but just a fact about the wealth gap which yeah. i found like crazy shocking so basically that the gap between black and white uh people in the u.s in terms of wealth right now is the same today as in the 1970s 40 years ago uh 40 48 years ago um four percent of white people are raised in poor neighborhoods but 62 percent of black people are raised in poor neighborhoods insane um and then about um one thing they mentioned as well is that home home ownership has been really important to white people being able to mm-hmm. generate wealth yeah absolutely which is something black people have been excluded from historically yeah. which means now um what was to say oh yeah black property is worth 20 times less than white property in total which yeah. is just absolutely insane so yeah, those are my facts. Gabby, I want to hear your opinion. Sorry, I was talking loads. Go. Um Yeah, no, that the part that really got me was when he was talking about how um white wealth and black wealth are different and how like even if you have someone who's black and who's wealthy it's so much easier to fall back into poverty oh, yeah. than it is for someone who's white um can you explain why well just because like institutionally i mean if you look at like the opportunities given it's just i was cuz i was thinking about this as like if you're the child of someone who's wealthy then it's so much easier, especially if you're black, like, and if you're living, like, in not a great neighborhood, like, you're in a nice house, but, like, you, you know, go to a a different school. I don't know. I feel like there's just circumstances in which white people are obviously going to be raised up and in which black people are going to get 
pushed down. But yeah, I think the example of kids was mentioned as well, right? So yeah. like that you might be you might have made it, mm-hmm. but the chance that your kids and grandkids will still grow up in the ghetto, quote unquote, mm-hmm. is is pretty high. Yeah. And yeah. I mean even it's cuz like if you think about it just like real life, like not a lot of not nearly as many black people are wealthy as white people are, obviously. So if you have a kid and he's black and he wants to hang out with like other black people, naturally, then he or she is not necessarily not necessarily going to hang out with people who are also wealthy. Yeah. They might Makes be living sense. in rougher like situations. They themselves might be living in ghettos or whatnot. Look at us middle class white people <laughs> talking about those ghetto children. <laughs> yeah, but like, you know, I mean, it happens. It's a reality. Um, and that in and of itself might just influence the direction of the wealthy child. And it's not like anything that they necessarily did. But it's just because there's so many black people who have been oppressed for so long um, that the majority of them aren't going to be in the same advantaged position as white people. No, yeah, I get you. So this is what we're faced with (laughs) among a multitude of other problems. Um, Now, what we've been talking about in class is reparations and decolonization as a kind of potential solution to these mm-hmm. things. And now I, I think we should define those words first because they're, I think they're like really open to different interpretations. So do you want to tell us what reparations are in your yeah. idea? How I see reparations is like basically admitting that you have done wrong to a whole group of people and then trying in some form to pay them back for it including in monetary it can be monetary yeah a Mm. lot of the times it is as well um what one of the biggest forms is monetary repayment but um there are other ways i think i i'm not sure but that's reparations for me yeah and decolonization I don't even know. Like, that's such a big one. Um, yeah, because we also read an article which kind of stated how the word decolonization has been abstracted. So people use it as, like, a verb. Like, yeah. oh, let's decolonize our school curriculum. Um, yeah. And that that makes it kind of a metaphor. Like, it, it makes a metaphor. It takes away the power of what decolonization would actually be, which is yeah. something very unsettling for white people to say Mm -hmm. i will give you back whatever we stole from you yeah it would basically have to be unleveling the of the fields to where white people aren't constantly privileged Mm. and other racial groups are constantly oppressed because that's what colonization is is an oppression of of people who are there privilege through yeah. white privilege and yes. even imagining that is it's really difficult i think of like yeah. how could that even work like it would be such a different world to now i know in but terms it's of possible. like if you actually thought through the whole thing yeah well that was my thing i don't know if you've ever seen michael moore does this documentary 
or he does documentaries, and basically, in one of them, I can't remember the name of the documentary, but he basically visited Germany, and he saw how Germany teaches the Holocaust to its students now, um, and, like, I feel like Germany really tried to reckon with itself about what it had done, and in the article, they talk about it, too, and they were like, no one in the beginning of, you know, West Germany wanted to even talk about reparations towards Jewish people. Like, half of them still thought that it was partly Jews' faults for yeah, what had happened to them. I think it was like 20% them. in yeah. a survey in West Germany after yeah, the war said exactly. Jewish people brought it partly upon themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And then, like, another 30% will like, were like, well, if you weren't directly hurting Jews, then why should you have to pay them back? You know? So it's like... There's so many things that you have to deal with, but ultimately, like, they powered through and they, like, paid their reparations. And they did. They, like, they paid a lot of reparations. Yeah. Also to the state of Israel. I had no idea yeah, about that. Yeah, right? What? Like, That's 34 crazy. billion or something like that. Like, I remember the one fact that 15% of the Israeli economy yeah. during that year, yeah. during those 10 years, sorry, yeah. like between 1663 and 73, was powered like by, re- ha- by reparation yeah, I know. payments. I was yeah. like, that's crazy. I know. Also, that's bad for Israel, like, that they're so shit with Palestine right now. Yeah, no, but, like, with Israel sorry. is a whole other sorry discussion. Sorry to slip that one in, but uh, <laughs> let's continue on this track. But yeah, no, I mean, even my grandpa got reparations, mm. and he was like, I mean, he was obviously affected by the war, but not like as much as people he was living. He was Jewish, but he was in North Africa, so okay. he was like a little bit away from everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, he was obviously affected, but it wasn't like as on top of, mm. you know. Yeah, which is what was really interesting, I think, is that it's a psychological thing as well yeah. in terms of, like, yes. what what it did is it through it really forced, I think, I th- I th- and I think I've, I've, I have quite a few German friends and I feel like they are so aware of what's been done in the yeah. past and they, ob- they have to learn it in school. Yeah. Um, they are, like not ashamed but like they i don't know if they're ashamed i can't i can't comment on it but they see they recognize the pain of the past well you have Um, to but then what what i find strange is like do you think that america is ready for that because i feel like right now but there's never a time where they're gonna be ready for that and you just for me like you just kind of have to buck up and face it like because this whole dumb shit of like let's slowly do it let's slowly like switch it back like that's not working that's ridiculous like we're not getting anywhere but like what because because what he says in the article is it's like it america has to face itself you know this there has to go through this mm-hmm. revealing of, of family secrets mm-hmm. as they say i have to like banish that guilt kind yeah. of go through this spiritual healing process mm-hmm. um but I'm not sure that the U.S. as a an entity is like ready to recognize, like like you say that that yeah. radical um, misdoing, yeah. right? As like one of the first articles we read, it's about what's been happening is living with evil and lying about it, yeah. and that's been going on for so long that even just questioning that paradigm seems like radically crazy. No, you know? I know, but, like, I mean, 
I'm just bringing it back to Germany because it was also... But that was straight after the war, though. Like, imagine if that was going on now. Would people want to yeah. question it? I mean, people in Germany now, they're just living their normal lives. But they're... Yeah. It's a hard one because it was also more recent. Not by much, but it was more recent. World War Two. you mean? Yeah, yeah. World War Two. Um, and there are still people alive who were in concentration camps, whereas there's not anyone alive today who was a slave. Yeah, or a slave owner. Or a slave owner, exactly. Um, but America has a tendency to repress its history. Yeah, that was also really cool Yeah, about the article, is that they said, like, we... I mean, what, what an argument that's often used about reparations is like, oh, it's all in the past, right? Yeah. We don't have to look at that again. That's mm-hmm. history. But then when it's other parts of history which glorify America are like celebrated mm-hmm. all the time, like how genius Thomas Jefferson was or, yeah. you know, the, the Jefferson Memorial, the Lincoln Memorial, yeah. all these amazing tributes to the, to the founding fathers, mm-hmm. which keep history alive. Literally, those parts are kept alive. Yeah. So it's not like... Like this, it's it, the past is in the past rule is applied selectively. Oh, absolutely. Just to negative yeah. things. Yeah. In the South, there's still Confederate war here, quote unquote heroes who have statues of themselves. Oh, yeah, I saw them. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's such a selective view of history because they're even glorifying the loser because the winner was black people in that situation. Ah. <sighs> unbelievable but so yeah how do you think reparations should be distributed if it were to happen what do you think needs to happen yeah that's a good question so i think the first thing that has to happen is an admittance that Mm -hmm. there's been crimes against people in the past mm-hmm. and that those crimes should be investigated yeah right so crimes of of human rights of mm-hmm. human like against the basic human dignity yeah um and 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 the example we we've mentioned before in maine uh of the documentary yeah so just a quick recap is that there was a truth and reconciliation commission in maine which investigated the uh the taking the, of native people from their homes and placing them in boarding schools or in foster homes. Yes, where a lot of native people got abused, mm-hmm. many got torn from their families, mm-hmm. and it was all this huge uh, yeah. psychological trauma mm-hmm. that many people hadn't talked about. Yeah. You know? And I think that needs to happen on, on a big scale. And, and, and I like that there was a lady in that commission, she said, it's a truth and reconciliation commission but maybe we should have just called it the truth commission Mm -hmm. because reconciliation can't come until we know the truth Mm -hmm. so and i think that needs to be if possible a national exercise yeah of like what what actually happened okay so we know what happened but did we know exactly what happened to who like which family was affected by what yeah you know like i met a like a black guy on the street in montgomery <laughs> what random story at least a homeless guy mm-hmm. and i was like you know people just i didn't i don't i don't know if i gave him money but i was on my own i was just walking around mm-hmm. so i just talked to him for a bit and he was saying like look my family grew up 
uh, on a sharecropped plantation just out of here and we had no land and like I had to walk on the bare ground with my feet mm. like he didn't even have shoes yeah. right all this stuff and like I feel like those family secrets they have to come out yeah for there to be any and it's going to be painful yeah right? it's going to be course. painful but for there to be any kind of change yeah sorry I, yeah, no I, I agreed I absolutely agree I think because it's funny not really funny but like on the other side of that I that's I absolutely agree that's what needs to happen now I'm gonna be the person that like is like America's not ready but like imagine all these white people like hearing this and then they're like but my family didn't do this so why like why are you mad at me like my family had nothing to do with this like I know I, 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 don't, mean, I, I don't know what would happen. Say, say that did happen. Say know. there was, like, a national scale of, like, we fucked up. Yeah. What would happen? I just don't know how white people would react. Ooh, I don't either. I, I just, I, I don't know. I don't know how it yeah. would work. Because I think they take the wrong attitude about it. Because, they're, of course, not everyone's family had anything to do with slavery. I know mine family didn't have anything to do with slavery like none, neither none of them showed up before like slavery even existed yeah like we haven't been here for long enough but like that doesn't mean that I and my family have not benefited from white privilege and that white privilege exists because slavery existed in the first place you know like that's where the slave economy comes in. Mm-hmm. White people do so well because we built everything off of the blood and backs of black people and others and native and you know all of the people. <laughs> Anyone who has any melanin, sorry. <laughs> oh my great sentence. Sorry. Yeah, um I agree. But, yeah, so I feel like first... So, yeah, I guess this kind of leads into a question I, I've been struggling with this whole time. Yeah. If Of, like, okay, say we were to do that truth, mm-hmm. a, a truth uh, commission, or, or, or just an investigation into how much wealth has been stolen, how much blah, 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 like, yeah. who suffered what. Yeah. All these things. How do you then avoid these two camps right of black versus white how do you avoid that becoming so antagonistic that you then can't live together anymore yeah. if if especially because white people won't admit their guilt right yeah. their own guilt of their yeah. family like of, of the generations before mm-hmm. well that's why i think the reconciliation happens after the truth mm. because as soon as the truth is out humans have the ability to feel empathy and regardless of whether white people are going to feel guilty or not, they're going to feel empathy, you know? That's like, a good one, yeah. You can't hear these stories about this guy who, like, had to walk barefoot on the soil and live on a plantation that his family didn't own and not feel any sort of sadness about that. And so I think, or I hope, that when the truth comes out, people will start to realize that even if they directly didn't do anything to do with slavery like they have benefited from the system in place yeah and would want to fix that yeah 
I mean, was there ever I, I, this? Like, I we mo- both might be ignorant about this, mm. but like, has there ever been a okay? Lyndon Johnson, great guy, by the way. Badass, but has there been any president that has really like ever said this? Like, let's investigate what happened. Let's investigate. No, how we the, can close the, the wealth gap would or go something. Up in arms. Up in arms. What about arms. Obama? Like, what? He can't because he's black. No, but like, has he ever commented on it? Oh, he's. I think he has. I, I mean, I know his policy was, like, wealth creation through making everyone more wealthy, as in, yeah. like, never favoring black people explicitly. Um, no, I mean, I think people have asked him this before because he is the first black president. I think they've definitely asked him about his stance on reparations before. Um, and what I seem to recall is that, for example, when he tried to implement policies that raised wealth that lifted all boats in a way right so by like mm-hmm. the affordable care act he um implemented medicaid which benefited black people more but mm-hmm. also benefited white people just because the gap there was bigger for black people yeah okay so basically what obama has to say about reparations is that he argues that the best way to amend for the past is to focus on the present and the future but that ignores like the whole reckoning with the past thing. But I also think that his opinion is genuinely like based off of like public opinion. I mean, what he said about reparations is based off of public opinion. I can't know for sure because I don't know him, but I also know <coughs> politics. Yeah. And like most of America is against reparations. So there's not any way that you can like come out as the first black candidate, first black president, and be like, reparations, please! Give my people money! Yeah. Yeah. How would it even work? I don't know. Oh, I, I did like that uh, they said, like, don't focus on how it would work, but first we have to agree on that it should happen. Yeah. Right? Or, like, yeah. I, don't, I really don't know how it would work, though. Like, the practicalities of it are so complicated. I know. I feel like there should be a like, tally sheet. It would be impo- like you, you literally. It would be political death to take yeah. to say you're going to take money from white people. It's just not going to happen. I mean, unless it's like a very progressive state. Like, do you really think that any politician can stand well, up and so say that? Is and it still only get- white people that have to pay, or do you just implement a tax on everyone and then dole out the money only to black people? Oh right, yeah. Increasing tax is always popular. I know. What can I say? <laughs> and then we have the whole issue of it's not a dual society anymore. It's a multiracial society. Yeah. Right? I mean, yeah, and that, does that mean natives now have a case for reparations? Does I think I'd say native people definitely well, do. Well, I absolutely would agree. But, but what about. So then, do. Asian people have a case for reparations. Japanese internment happened. Chinese Exclusion Act. Like, all these things. And then the deportation of thousands of um, Hispanic, Latino um, immigrants as well. Like, when... Where does it stop? Where does it stop? Not that it necessarily should. There should always be a reckoning. And coming to realization of what we are as a people which is racist (laughs) which is racist (laughs) but oh man like 
I feel like people are scared that as soon as we open the door to a conversation about reparations, it's just going to release like a flood of other shit. Yeah, like a Pandora's box. Yeah, thing. exactly. Like you don't want to open that mm-hmm. box. And also, it will be true. Obviously, people will want what they can get out of it. Yeah. Right? Like if it's possible uh, for you as a an individual to get more money without having to do anything. Yeah. Like we'd all take that opportunity. Absolutely. Um, then again, you don't, like there's that whole thing that you don't want to feel like you got where you got because you got money handed out to you. Yeah. Right? Like you want to feel self-made. Yeah. And that's such a big thing. I mean, we already talked about that with affirmative action. Um, that that are people, black people or, or whatever, against affirmative action simply because they don't want to feel like they're there because of yeah. some policy and because they made it themselves. But I don't know. I just... I have interesting thoughts about affirmative action because this school doesn't have affirmative action, but there's also a sense that, like, even amongst my friends of color, there's still this idea that they don't belong here and then the only reason they got in is because they are of a certain ethnic background. Mm. Which I feel like is false anyways. I mean, it's false because UW doesn't do affirmative action, but it's just, like, also such a sad, like, thing to live with, to, like, not feel like you're good enough and the only reason that you're here is because of your race. Yeah, exactly, but wouldn't that be the same with reparations? It's like, oh, you're not good enough to make your own money, so here's some money from the state to make up for it. Yeah. Well, then that's also, I feel like there needs to come to a group consensus that things have inhibited policies have inhibited people of color from being able to make their full wealth you know and we need to stop doing this thing of like well barack obama did it so why shouldn't you do it you know yeah it's it's difficult though i think i i can't speak for minority groups yeah but like i read an article about um globalization Mm -hmm. and it was like a sociological study of of high school students Mm -hmm. and they were saying like that what what this uh scientist found was that it was actually poor people who justified the system more than rich people i think because they're so part of the system Mm -hmm. and it's like so hard to imagine any other possibilities Mm -hmm. in terms of like also if you're poorer you're less likely to get higher education which kind of broadens your viewpoint makes you Mm -hmm. read more critical articles and stuff like that so then they are really even more attached to the idea of being self-made because that's the way for them to to be successful that's the only way they see to be successful right yeah i don't know so i feel like it could be even the same in this case um yeah that it's probably middle class white people who study in Seattle and, you know, are like, racial injustice is so bad, who are just like, oh yeah, reparations, decolonization. But yeah. that it's actually, if you maybe go into the black ghettos of Chicago, wonder what they would say, you know? Yeah. How they would react to it. That's a question that only they can answer. But I think. I mean, I don't think that Jewish people were Jewish people were super against getting reparations. <laughs> yeah. My grandpa literally got some like a few years ago and I was like, "Cool." <laughs> yeah. 2 million 2000 euros, I'm not mad. Really? Yeah. That's so good. Yeah. 
Um, anyway, um, maybe this is all kind of a quite a conceptual discussion. Mm-hmm. We can bring it back down to Earth. Where are we now? And how could we get to a position where? Do you we think that be? there's a policy that we could instate nationally? Right that now, that would start us. Yeah, that would start us on the right path. I'm not saying that this is the result. Like this is gonna fix the problem that we have. But do you think that there's something <clears throat> that we can do to catalyze, you know, that reaction? What do you think? I think there is. What do you think? I you think that um, first we need to start by changing the education curriculum. Because yeah, that's such a big one. Yeah. In the words that's of so a wise important. man, the revolution isn't going to start on the streets. It's going to start in your kindergarten. <laughs> <laughs> wow, wow. Wise words. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Like, I feel like if... there was more of an ability to learn about the truth in public school like K through 12 then people would already have a better idea of what the truth is and would be more open to hearing about it because right now we have people who have learned and been taught their whole lives that white people are you know, they're chill. <laughs> they're chill. And they atoned for their sins a while ago. And, like, they didn't really do anything bad. And, like, blah, blah, blah. And this and that. And they have never been taught just the extent of what happened. And so if we were to teach our children that, I think they would be at a better place to be open to having a discussion about reparations. Yeah. I agree. I agree. That's what I think the first step is. But housing, I mean, not to get too technical, but educational policy isn't federal, right? It's state-based, usually. It's set by the state. I know, but I think that there's, there can be federal. Because you have to, like, I think it's like a that's federal mandate problem, that right? you if teach you... certain amounts of this and this and that. Okay, because if you encourage states to do it, yeah, the states that need it most won't do it. No, I know. Yeah. But, yeah, so then you do federal. Mm. And I think federal education laws are a real thing. And if they're not, then we'll jump that hurdle, and then we'll implement it. Mm. But I just don't know the time frame for that. Because it feels like anything that needs to happen, this is just, like me being young person once more <laughs> is like the old generation needs to die off first so <laughs> actually the yeah some people, people say that can pop up and like do the things and then it would be like our grandkids or our children who would benefit from that yeah <clears throat> i mean there's still people alive right now that i know were very much part of that racist a racist public policy system <clears throat> <clears throat> still active in government. I mean, yeah. Mitch McConnell. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, but that's why it's so hard. I think to imagine any any solutions. Yeah, because white supremacy is is prevalent not only in its extreme form of what you see in the news, mm-hmm. but like the current government. Yes, is just. 
I mean, he's never going to change anything <laughs> institutionally <laughs> to benefit minorities. minorities. Yeah. Like, unless it's by accident. <laughs> like, <laughs> so true. But, you know, I guess if we're looking at, like, generational timescales, we could say, well, it's only six more years of Trump, kind of. Don't say that. <laughs> right? And then... No. Don't say that. No? Six more? It should hopefully only be two. <laughs> it's not going to be two. Well, Guys, I know, but in my heart, I pray. <laughs> I understand. It's probably going to be six. Anyway. Until he takes down that amendment and then makes himself dictator for life. <laughs> Am well, I right? Uh, uh. <laughs> U.S. falls by the wayside. But I think, oh yeah, there's another thing that we said we could talk about. The current progressive idea of <clears throat> Reparations. <laughs> is nowhere near even what we've been talking about today. What is it? Which makes us sound like crazy left lunatics. <laughs> communist white girls. I re- communist white girls. I still think we should rename the podcast. Well, during our renaissance podcast. <laughs> well, as in, like, arguably the most influential progressive politician in the US is Bernie Sanders. Yeah. And he crudely said, equates... Uh, predatory capitalism so like neoliberalism capitalism like the way that it's fucking us all over with the ills of structural racism as in like he doesn't advocate I don't okay don't quote me on this but I I haven't seen him advocate for specific minority um, you're not wrong there yeah he hasn't advocated for for policies that specifically favor some kind of racial group because he says oh but look it's capitalism it's Mm -hmm. all like capitalism is fucking Mm -hmm. all over yeah so i think that's the downfall of socialism is that they're like as soon as you do the socialist thing it's fine and it'll fix everything else racism that's a socialist issue (laughs) yeah like racism as a socialist yeah exactly yeah. yeah um i think that so like they're in that current state that we have white supremacists in power mm-hmm. republicans who won't even talk about racism yeah. or whatever and then we have progressives who talk about racism as if it's simply a, a, an economic issue right i don't know no you're not wrong what do you think i just don't know where to go from here <laughs> where do we go from here uh, but well, like the community level thing i think that's really important yeah. that could change stuff yeah so from, from the ground up. Mm-hmm. So like, if you don't start at the top, but you start at the bottom, bottom. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's only English there. But yeah, in my, in my interview, I interviewed a police officer, and he happens to be black. I don't know how important that is as a piece of information for this next part, but basically, I was asking him about what I thought he. No, I asked him about what he thought um, we could do as a country to address police brutality against black people. And he said that he doesn't think there's a way for there to be an overarching like law or policy that would affect everyone and that would work. And he thinks rather that we should start like take a community approach. So... Um, he's a police officer at UWPD. Um, and UWPD has always, in my opinion, done, like, a really good job of building a community or, like, building a good relationship with their community. Um, 
like we're not afraid of the police here like it's very much a support system and also like you just like feel like they are here for your best interest um and that kind of feels different from even just the Seattle police um and so what he was saying is that if you see a community who has a really good relationship with their police department instead of getting all like angry about it and shutting them off which has been the tendency you should recognize when someone is doing something better than you and try to take pointers from them so that there's like you know just these grassroots efforts like sprouting all over the country and then over time it'll spread yeah and I that's think that's, how you'll that's get... gonna be the only way right yeah. now which i see is like a feasible thing yeah and that's so powerful as well because if, no, if you is. have a small thing like the police yeah. who tries to implement mm-hmm. a new measure in their own department or you have you know this truth and reconciliation thing in yeah. maine who started on a small scale it was it was only okay so statewide still but like they they started questioning Mm -hmm. on that level and that approach can then be replicated by other groups so it can kind of jump between different communities Mm -hmm. until perhaps there's some kind of critical mass where you could say okay look at how many communities are doing this and how powerful it's been and how important this is yeah and then to replicate to, to just replicate mm-hmm. that on and it's on a so much scale. harder to break that down too because it's not a policy thing it's just people choosing to do the right thing and it's not being imposed from the exactly. top exactly yeah and it's like a choice that they made to be better but then you think like what about communities where they don't want to recognize the truth in a way well i think then they're the last to you know, yeah, the last pick adopters. off and like, yeah, but yeah. it's gonna happen. Is it? There reaches a point where if everyone else is doing it, you should also be That's doing true. it. That's true. So it can be kind of that Fuck early adopters grab. If your friend is jumping oh. off the metaphorical bridge, my you want to jump my off. My mom it didn't too. say that. Really, my mom said that. My mom's our, big, our biggest fan. I know your mom <laughs> is our biggest fan. Hi. <laughs> Shout, <Just> out. <laughs> Shout out. Shout <laughs> out. But, like, they'll follow. If the whole country is doing it. Yeah, I agree. And they're the last holdouts. holdouts. Yeah. But you can start where it's easiest in a way. Right. Yeah. 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 Even if it's here, I would freaking love for Seattle PD to come over and talk to UW PD and see what they're doing. Yeah, or even for there to be some kind of investigation of, like, Shit, our university is built on stolen land from Native Americans. Like, yes. how did this happen? When? Yeah. Like, we do. Who can we involve least, in this investigation? We do. I don't know. R- recognize that it is built on stolen land. Like, maybe we don't do enough, but um, at orientation for like new students, the beginning of every orientation, they always say, "We just want to recognize that we are currently like." this university is built on Duwamish land and like Muckleshoot Nation and oh like, yeah that's good they recognize it mm. every single time yeah so everyone should know that we are on native land yeah but that doesn't mean that it doesn't make it better yeah alright wow 50 minutes 
I wonder if anyone will make it to the end. Your mom will. You should send a fox. Hi, Dorian. Emoji. If you did. <laughs> to our email address. Fox emoji to our email. <laughs> um, so, conclusion. Scalable community initiatives as our public policy suggestion. Yes. And what we had another thing. Truth. Um, education curriculum. Truth, commissions, and education curricula. Put it there. Okay. We are signing off for one <laughs> last time. Thank you so much for listening. Um, especially if our lecturer is still listening. Yes. Hi, Gonzalo. Hi, Gonzalo. Thank you mm-hmm. so much for teaching us. Yes. I hope you enjoyed our conversations. Mm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Goodbye, man. Bye. Goodbye. <laughs>